Quick note about this podcast episode today, we're going to be talking about a passage that contains some mature themes, so if you are a kid, hit pause and go talk to a parent before you listen. Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? We're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 5, and so just a little context here. It's helpful to remember the narrative that's going on. We're looking at a a passage that's a law and some instructions, but you got to fit it in the story of what's happening to Israel. So Israel has been set free from slavery from Egypt. They have walked across the desert to Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up on the mountain to receive God's law, and they are being instructed on how to be his people, and the purpose of that is to show them how to live well, how to live in a way that is uh, just and live in a way that shows love to neighbor, live in a way where they function as God's holy people. And so uh, when we read the laws, we've got to look at this in terms of the, the story of where they're going. They've come out of slavery, they don't know how to be a people, and they're headed to the promised land. They're about to leave in just a few chapters, and they've got to learn how to be God's people in every circumstance as they go into that new life. So this is one particular circumstance where trouble has come up, where uh, God shows them how to deal with a situation in a marriage where some jealousy has creeped in. So we're going to read this starting in Numbers 5, verse 11. All right, and before I read this text, I just want to point out two things. Number one, once again, I'm about to read 20 verses that Clayton has assigned to me. I'm not doing this on purpose. I'm not trying to belabor any points. I'm just pointing out that the pattern is continuing, that Clayton gives me really long passages to read, and I am nice to him on the days he has to read, and I give him short passages. The second thing I would like to say is no more celebratory noises. There is what? There is no more reason for me to say celebratory noises anymore because our podcast producers have finally gotten us sound effects. Yeah, that's right, everybody. I like celebratory noises. You like celebratory noises better than that? Or this? Yeah. Well, I mean, those are nice, too. (laughs) How about... So when Clayton tells a good joke, which that button will never be used, ever. um, Or we can... Live studio audience. Mm. We have stepped up, everybody. We We have stepped up our game. So here we go. Numbers chapter 5, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him so that another man has sexual relations with her, and this is hidden from her husband and her impurity is undetected, since there is no witness against her and she has not been caught in the act, and if feelings of jealousy come over her husband and he suspects his wife and she is impure, or if he is jealous and suspects her even though she is not impure, then he is to take his wife to the priest. He must also take an offering of a tenth of ephah of barley flour on her behalf. He must not pour olive oil on it or put incense on it because it is a grain offering for jealousy, a reminder offering to draw attention to wrongdoing. The priest shall bring her and have her stand before the Lord. Then he shall take some holy water in a clay jar and put some dust from the tabernacle floor into the water. After the priest has had the woman stand before the Lord, he shall loosen her hair and place in her hands the reminder offering, the grain offering for jealousy, while he himself holds the bitter water that brings a curse. Then the priest shall put the woman under oath and say to her, 
if no other man has had sexual relations with you and you have not gone astray and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water that brings a curse not harm you. But if you have gone astray while married to your husband and you have made yourself impure by having sexual relations with a man other than your husband, here the priest is to put the woman under this curse. May the Lord cause you to become a curse among your people when he makes your womb miscarry and your abdomen swell. May this water that brings a curse enter your body so that your abdomen swells or your womb miscarries. Then the woman is to say, Amen, so be it. The priest is to write these curses on a scroll and then wash them off into the bitter water. He shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse, and this water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering will enter her. The priest is to take from her hands the grain offering for jealousy, wave it before the Lord, and bring it to the altar. The priest is then to take a handful of the grain offering as a memorial offering and burn it on the altar. After that, he is to have the woman drink the water. If she has made herself impure and been unfaithful to her husband, this will be the result. When she is made to drink the water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering, it will enter her, her abdomen will swell, and her womb will miscarry, and she will become a curse. If, however, the woman has not made herself impure but is clean, she will be cleared of guilt and will be able to have children. This, then, is the law of jealousy when a woman goes astray and makes herself impure while married to her husband, or when feelings of jealousy come over a man because he suspects his wife. The priest is to have her stand before the Lord and is to apply this entire law to her. The husband will be innocent of any wrongdoing, but the woman will bear the consequences of her sin. So let me describe the situation here, because we can read this and hear a whole lot of things that feel like kind of strange ceremonies, you know, things that, that feel very unusual, like why in the world would they do that? And we can miss what is a... A, a true problem that has not necessarily gone away. So uh, the problem is a husband who thinks that his wife has cheated on him, but he does not have proof. Now, in Israelite society, adultery was against the law. There was punishment for that. In fact, the punishment could be as severe as uh, execution. So this is a, a capital offense to, uh, to commit adultery. And so it's a pretty significant deal if, if someone has done this. But because it's such a big deal, they had laws that said you cannot be punished unless there is eyewitnesses. So when you're considering what the crime is, this is one of those ones that doesn't usually have eyewitnesses. And so when a husband is looking at his wife thinking, I think, given circumstances, that she might have cheated on me, but he doesn't have any evidence for that, the the question is, what do you do? Because now there is a disruption there of a suspected uh, adultery, but no evidence of it, so you can't act on it. And so there is this uh, this tension of unresolved jealousy that you it's a he, sh- he said, she said, there's no proof one way or the other. So you've got to get to the bottom of that and resolve it somehow. And so that's what this is addressing. That's kind of the problem that this passage is trying to solve. So with that in mind, let's talk about observations. What do you see in this passage? If I wade through what seems to be a lot of like crazy town uh, activities in terms of determining what should be done here. These are the days of our lives. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. We should put that in the sound effects Ooh, bank over there. Uh, what is obvious is the sanctity of marriage, that marriage is a high value to God. Yeah, it's this, um, the value of not committing adultery, you know? 
that that that's what's the underlying thing here. When you look past all the curse talk and the bitter water and all that stuff, is 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 our two people who are married being faithful to one another? Yeah, one of the things I, I think about uh, often when I'm reading the Bibles, I try to say I, I want to put myself in the situation of a person who might experience this. So if it's a story you think about, what would the character in the story feel like in that moment? If it's a, a law, sometimes you say, if I were one of the people that this might apply to, how might he feel? So there's actually several different scenarios here. You might be in the place of the jealous spouse. You say, well, how would I feel? What, what would be going through my mind uh, as I'm, I'm thinking, I think my spouse has been unfaithful, or, or there's reason for me to be suspicious of that? You go through the mind of a spouse who has been unfaithful, and they're being accused. What, what's going through their mind? You know, the, the anxiety of being found out and the consequences of what will happen. Or a spouse who has not been unfaithful, but they, they their, their, their spouse is jealous of them, and they're, they're saying, I think you have, and they're being falsely accused of cheating on their spouse. The, what, what do you do to clear your name in that situation? The, the, the fear and anxiety of what happens if, especially a woman in this society, their husband says they've been unfaithful, and the consequence could be as severe as death. Like that's, there's, a lot, there's a lot at stake for every person involved, no matter what the scenario is, and so there's, there's a certain amount of... Uh, uh, practicality and and kindness for God to offer a way to resolve that tension. A question that comes to my mind, which I think I know the answer to, but I'll ask it out loud anyway, is if a man suspects that his wife might be cheating, but what about if a woman suspects that her husband might be cheating? Hmm. Yeah, is there... Is there anything about that? So that is a, a really interesting—I wondered how quickly we would get to that question, because I, one of the things to remember is that um, in, in Israelite society, like, the, the man was assumed to be kind of the legal representative of the family. Legal proceedings happened uh, kind of at the initiation of men. And so in a lot of ways, the power is all in their hands. And so this looks, on face value, as a way of— uh, a, a man having more power over his wife. The interesting thing is this. In a society where if a man had accused his wife of cheating, very likely he could have gotten her punished, God actually takes the power out of his hands. Like this is, this is less about finding out what your, your spouse has done and more about the protection of someone from a false accusation. So there, there's, the, there's the circumstance of this woman who will have no recourse She's either labeled as someone who's committed adultery, even if she's not killed, uh, or she's killed, and she's unlikely to be taken seriously. In this circumstance, it is now in God's hands, not her husband's hands, or even the hands of, of some male judge who might you know, look favorably on her husband. So in some ways, this is less about, can you find out what your spouse has been doing, and more about saying, when it comes down to this really critical moment, whose hands is it in? Who's going to give the verdict? And the answer is, God. It's actually the only crime where this sort of uh, sort of uh, trial by you know whatever you call it <laughs> you know uh, where God gives the verdict in that way is in the law. It reminds me a lot when we were going through Leviticus and we kept you know reading law after law after law and so many of those laws once you got past like your initial like shock and like cultural disorientation like this law seems so far removed from like American culture. We, I don't know how many times we noticed, like over and over and over again, that the laws 
were often meant to protect people who were powerless or were uniquely positioned to be abused or marginalized. And here we have another example of that going on. Yeah, the, so I'm glad that you mentioned that about, you know, God being the one that gives a verdict, because I think you can, like, get caught up in all this curse talk. And, like, if you look at, like, you know, verse 23, the priest is to write these curses on a scroll and then wash them off in the bitter water, and then the water, the woman is to drink the bitter water that brings a curse, you know, and it almost kind of sounds like you're creating some sort of a magical potion that's going to be doing the wrongdoing to her if she was, in fact, unfaithful to her husband. And it's it's not a potion, like it's not this, it's not magic, you know what I mean? It's it's the means by which God is going to to issue His verdict, you know what I mean? Like, but it's not a magic. Yeah, and it's it, it's not it does sound it's like weird. a magic potion. It totally does. Let me let me try to make it a little bit more sensible. Okay, this still might not make total sense. It doesn't feel like anything we would do. But in their context, this actually feels more logical than it than it looks on the surface. So what what gets mixed in this thing that they drink? Holy water and a little dust from the ground of the tabernacle. Now we we've talked again and again as we've talked about Leviticus about holiness, the concept of things being set apart. And one of the the kind of like ideas is there are holy things which can only be used for special religious you know uh, things dedicated to God. There are clean things, which are just kind of the ordinary things of life, and there are unclean things, which um, cannot be brought into the presence of holy things. And so the idea is this. If this woman has committed adultery, she has made herself unclean. And when something unclean comes into contact with something holy, the holy thing kills it. So there are these other stories where people walk into the presence of God, or they touch the Ark of the Covenant or something, and they, they drop dead. In this case, they have essentially said, we're going to take something holy, the holy water and some of the ground that the tabernacle stands on, and we're going to bring it in contact with this woman. And it's almost it's almost like saying, you know, if you bring these two safe chemicals together, they'll be fine. But if one is, you know, the wrong chemical, it'll create this reaction that will be, you know, harmful. And so uh, that still sounds a little ridiculous to us, but in their context saying, we're going to see if we bring something holy in, t- in touch with something clean, it'll be fine. If it's in touch with something impure, it will show up in a way where God will judge that person. That explanation right there was worth the price of admission. Yeah, that was really good. Which, I mean, know, I, I asked the question. I didn't know he was going to have that good of an explanation. I know. That was really good. <laughs> and just in case all of you out there are wondering what the price of admission is for this podcast, the answer is obviously zero, uh, because nobody oh. gave us a penny for our new sound effects. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say you need to start sponsoring us or something. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and, you know, I might have confused people, by the way, because for the last, like, 10 to 15 episodes, I've been playing sound effects off of my phone, and so people might be thinking right now... I thought we always had sound effects. Yeah, we didn't, everybody. I was just holding up my phone to my microphone, but now we have, like, legit a panel with buttons sound effects. It is not going to in any way increase the quality of this podcast or its usefulness to you. <laughs> but if I'm going to sit in this podcast studio for a few hours, fun. it makes it more fun. fun. Yeah. Let, let me address one detail in this passage that might have someone hung up, okay? Because uh, I actually was asked this question uh, not too long ago by someone who uh, somehow came across this passage. The punishment that happens, the curse that if, if the woman's been unfaithful, in verse 21 says... God will make your womb miscarry. 
Now that is a that's a very disturbing detail to say this woman might have committed sin. So uh, consequences are involved, but the consequence falls on this baby. This un, like if she's pregnant, that that baby will die, and so that feels feel, feels bad for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, one including is God sanctioning abortion that this would be somehow like. Uh, you know, she she's you know gotten pregnant through through some guy that she shouldn't have, so he kind of cleans up the problem or whatever. And that that kind of mindset could be read under this. And I've heard people kind of ask that sort of question. So let me let me clarify uh, two things. Okay, first of all, the NIV, the translation that we read, this is the only translation that translates it miscarry. It's it's a weird phrase in Hebrew, and so in other translations, it is translated as uh, your your abdomen swells and your thighs waste away, which is a super weird. What does that even mean, right? So people are looking at that phrase, saying, "Could that possibly mean a miscarriage?" And so they've made that interpretive choice in this. And so there there is room that this is potentially not talking about miscarriage; it's talking about becoming barren, becoming uh, sterile. And so that actually makes sense if you look a little bit further on in the passage where it says, uh, if she's innocent, she'll be able to have children. Uh, And so it it probably implies that this is more about uh, the woman becoming barren rather than losing a baby that she has conceived. Um, But even if it is losing a baby that she has conceived, it does not make this any easier. But remember, this is in God's hands. It's not a question of should someone who has uh, gotten pregnant in a way that they didn't desire have permission to have an abortion? And so uh, just because I've seen that raised as kind of an objection to a pro-life stance, figured I'd address that in there. Yeah, and that would be very consistent with what we see all throughout the Bible, which is childbirth is a blessing, um, and to not be able to have children, when, when people want to have children and can't, they put that immediately in the bad category, right? Something is wrong. If I want to have kids and I can't have kids, something is wrong. So the whole like blessing and curse, child childbearing is in the blessing category. Let's go to message. What message would you guys take from this passage? My The message I'm seeing in this text is that marriage is to be honored and protected. And obviously there are a lot of things that can undermine a marriage, creep into a marriage, destroy a marriage. Um, But marriage is sacred and part of God's design for humanity, and it should be honored and protected and valued. Uh, That's what I'm seeing in in all of this. Yeah, I would say the same thing along those lines. I'm I'm looking at the, from God's perspective, you know, he's... He's taking very, he's taking great care and expressing um, that he values a marriage to be faithful and pure. And when it's not, um, it's kind of almost like he's creating these, it's kind of like, this is what I expect a marriage to be. And if it's not, somebody's going to have to face this and deal with it. You know what I mean? And it's... Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's. I have no idea what to say there. I, you said it perfectly. I don't know how else to add to it. I think that's that's what I'll just say. I'll say yes, yeah, something along the lines of that. Okay, so let me just back up. Okay. Yeah, I would. I mean, Eric said it really well. I I don't really have anything else to add to that. It's just. 
Yep. Yep. That's right, everybody. I said it really, really well. This is so weird. So weird. I I would say the same thing, just that God desires for marriage to be faithful and pure. Yeah, I think that's that, that's a great message. I, I'll add this one as well. I I think the idea that God looks out for vulnerable people, so that, that idea that uh, for a woman in the society to have no defense if she's been accused, um, that God, God actually takes those cases into his hands um, to say that God defends those uh, who lack power, that he, he's, on their, he's on their side to make sure they uh, um, experience justice uh, is a good message. All right, in terms of meditation, um, I, I want to go back to that um, thought about being in the situation of being one of the people uh, who might have to deal with this scenario. And I guess I'm going to make it a, a choose-your-own-adventure on this one, okay? So um, I think, and, and this may be a little bit more praying and interceding with God about this, if there's a situation uh, going on, but I think I want you to choose. In your life, if there's a circumstance where you have a secret sin, I want you to ponder what it would be like for it to be brought to light, to actually say, what, what would it be like? For this to be found out. And would you rather that be by your own choice or by someone finding out? So that's that's if you've got a secret you're hiding. If you have been accused of something, or you are suspected of something, where you're being slandered in some way, saying you've done something you did not do, call out to God and ask him to intercede, to take the case into his hands and bring you justice. So 45 seconds, choose either to confess some sin to God or to cry out to him for justice in a situation. comma is application. So how can we apply something from this passage? For me, as a married man, uh, I am going to take some time tomorrow morning during my Bible study and prayer time and think about and pray through, uh, am I am I valuing my marriage the way God values it? Do I see it the way God sees it? I'm just going to take some time to, to think about my marriage. I'm not married, so I'm going to uh, probably go along the lines of what you're, you know, the choose your own journey, just reflecting on on just my life, uh, if there's any kind of, just checking myself, is there any kind of sins or anything like that that I'm letting creep in, any behaviors that I would not want people to find out, just checking myself and seeing where I'm at. Yeah, I think... Um in terms of the the marriage application, I think uh, doing everything I can to express to my wife uh, that I'm committed to her and faithful to her, uh, making sure that we're uh, in a good place and uh, closing that gap. Oftentimes, uh, jealousy and things like that come uh, from not spending time together, not uh, 
getting close to each other. And uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm really close to Michelle. That's a good application, Clayton. Yes. This has been nonsensical use of sound <laughs> effects with Eric Ferris. Have, he always has these little segments inside of like a larger segment. You notice that? Well, friends, that is all that we have for you today. Thanks for listening this week. We're going to get into another episode next Monday, so I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. You can also find us on Twitter if you look us up. You can find additional Bible Savvy insights. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.